Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. We're going to start off today with a recipe from smittenkitchen.com for Union Squares Cafes Bar Nuts. Something a little different for today. Four years ago, when I was home for a couple of days between book tour stops, and I had about 300 gazillion errands to run, but I was also hungry because proper meals are the first thing to go when I'm busy, and really craving a great salad because vegetables are the first thing to go get stiffed when you travel a lot, and I didn't want to eat out or of a takeout container on my lap or in a hurry. I wanted to sit down and eat off a plate like a civilized person with water in a glass, not a plastic bottle. And the want for this was overwhelming. And I looked up and I was right in front of the Union Square Cafe. And I thought, why not? Do you ever go out to eat alone? Well, I really don't. When I had the freedom to do this more often, I always felt awkward and fidgety. And now that I'm old enough to not care, we only occasionally have the luxury of going out with two small people and snack cups of Cheerios, and certainly not alone. You know, sitting at a bar, reading a book, like one of those grown-ups you always thought you'd be. But this time I did. The salad was perfect. The bread was warm. The bartender talked me into, I'm sure I was terribly hard to convince, a glass of wine, and 35 minutes later, I resumed my errands happy and fed and cared for and swore I'd do this more often, although I really don't. But I've been thinking about this because the Union Square Cafe reopens this week, and although it's been 26 years since its cookbook came out, the Bar Nuts recipe inside is as easy to make and addictive as ever. It seems hard to imagine that such simple ingredients, a pat of butter, brown sugar, salt, cayenne, and minced rosemary, could transform even the unloved Brazil nut into something you cannot stop snacking on, but that's really what a timeless recipe does. I hope it becomes your new holiday habit too. Here's the recipe for Union Square Cafe's Bar Nuts. Servings, it makes three two-thirds cups, three and two-thirds cups, I believe. Takes 30 minutes and source is the Union Square Cafe cookbook. Here's a few things worth mentioning. The original recipe, which can be found verbatim from one end of the internet to the other, calls for 18 ounces or two and a quarter cups of assorted unsalted nuts, which would be just fine if two and a quarter cups of nuts didn't weigh about 11 ounces, no matter what nut you use. This led me to make this twice, first with two and a quarter cups of nuts. It was a tad too salty and spicy, even with halved volume of cayenne. And then with 18 ounces, which is more like three and two thirds cups of nuts in which the seasoning was more spot on. No surprise really that restaurants cook using weights, not cups. I then made it a third time, and this time with some nuts, pretzel nuggets, and it was excellent. Hi, would you like to come over for some spiced nuts? We have buckets. I make another change from the original, which is I bake the nuts further after tossing them in the spiced butter, which helps it set. You're supposed to serve them warm, and they rewarm well but they're also just as addictive at room temperature. Finally, because it's a big finally, the flavor here hinges on both salt and cayenne, which is great because yum, but terrible for recipe writing because 
One teaspoon of salt varies wildly by saltiness depending on the type and brand. Even among kosher salts, some weigh more than twice as much as others. And I find that some cayennes are much hotter than others, so what should you do? Well, I use Diamond brand kosher salt, the lightest weight of them. For any other brand of kosher salt, you should start with half and use more to taste. For coarse sea salt, you're safe using the full teaspoon and possibly even more. For a flaky featherweight Maldon sea salt, you could probably safely use two teaspoons as Nigella does. If your cayenne packs a lot of heat as mine does, I found that half, which is a one quarter teaspoon level, gave the nuts a nice kick, but not overpowering heat. If you carry hot sauce in your purse, you should use the whole amount. <laughs> I know that a lot of people think that they don't like rosemary, but I'm willing to wager a bet that at least two thirds of rosemary averse people will still like it here. Everyone does really. So you'll need 18 ounces or three and two thirds cups of assorted unsalted nuts or two and a third cups of mixed nuts and one and a third cup of pretzel nuggets. One tablespoon of butter, melted. Two tablespoons of fresh rosemary, coarsely chopped. One quarter to one half teaspoon of cayenne. See note up top. Two teaspoons of dark brown sugar. One teaspoon of kosher salt. See note up top. Heat the oven to 350 degrees. Spread nuts, if using pretzels, don't add them yet on a tray and toast the nuts for 10 to 15 minutes until lightly golden and fragrant. While they're toasting, whisk the butter, rosemary, cayenne, sugar, and salt in the bottom of a large bowl. When nuts are toasted, add them to the bowl and stir evenly to coat. Add pretzels if using and coat again. Spread back on tray and toast for another five to 10 minutes. Let cool slightly, then serve warm in bowls. Nuts are also good at room temperature and keep it for weeks in airtight jars. Now today I'm going to add a and stuff uh, story to food and stuff. I haven't done that for a while. But I went to goop.com to find a recipe today and I couldn't find any recipes on goop.com. This may be the last one that I read was the last one potentially. So what I did find though was an article that I thought sounded interesting. I like home interior design and learning about it, and this is the Traveler's Guide to Feeling Right at Home. Even seriously luxurious hotels can feel soulless, so of course can business change, chains, Airbnbs, and anywhere else you might find yourself sleeping for business or vacation. The antidote in many cases is a little thoughtful planning. The right details can make a huge difference in how you feel, says designer Lynn Toche design director at Picasso, a real estate co-ownership marketplace. You buy shares in a particularly luxury second home and schedule stays at, stays at it via a smart app. Uh, Toshe has been buying, renovating, furnishing, and flipping homes for over 25 years, and she's designed over 100 homes for Picasso, from rustic mountain houses to beachfront cottages this year alone. The thread between them, she says, is coziness. We're balancing different owners with different tastes, and whether they're skiing, surfing, or hiking, we want them all to be able to really unwind and enjoy, she says. Here's how she brings the cozy to any interior. And note, these tricks work for hotel rooms, but are just as effective in your own home. Number one, 
Blankets make a bigger difference than you'd think. Obviously, they make a space feel warm and inviting, says Toshe. Feeling, but beyond feeling cozy, they add visual texture. If you have limited suitcase space, carry a blanket on the plane with you to stay warm. Or do as Toshe sometimes does and use your favorite oversized sweater as decor when you're not wearing it. You can drape it over a chair, a sofa, or a bed. Think of texture in other contexts, too. A chic state, statement pillowcase makes any room look and feel particular. Next, bring soothing sounds. Staying somewhere new all but ensures you're going to experience different sounds, especially at night. A sound machine blocks it all out so that you can sleep. Number three, change up the scent. A gorgeous scent brings any space to life. A candle sets a great mood and masks unwanted smells. And there's something so comforting about lighting one at the end of your day, says Toshe. If you, understandably, don't have space in your bag for a full-size candle, a mini votive or incense is a great alternative. Tip, since many luxury hotels have a signature scent, call ahead to see if they can skip spraying your room so you have full control of what your room smells like. Number four, build in rituals and routines. Traveling challenges even our most closely held daily routines. Whether it's journaling, meditating, or exercising, stick with your favorites as best as you can. Block out time on your calendar to help yourself be accountable. Tip, pack your favorite morning drink so you don't have to make compromises at the lobby coffee shop. Number five, bring the natural world in. When you're traveling, make some time to enjoy a bit of the surrounding nature. You can open the windows, take a walk outside, visit the buzzy downtown district, or discover a local farmer's market. Nature has a universally calming and grounding effect, says Toshe. When you highlight those natural elements, it feels really warm and welcoming. And in a pinch, you can use your travel mug as a vase. Number six, pack more beauty than you think is prudent. There's something especially glorious about bringing your favorite skin, hair, and body care along with you, and they have lists some favorites at goop.com. Next, we're going to have a recipe from Eating Well. This is for cheesy meatball casserole. That just sounded really yummy. This cheesy meatball casserole is a family favorite, with basil adding flavor to the meatballs and grated onion adding moisture. Melted mozzarella cheese tames the spice, but feel free to cut back or eliminate the crushed red pepper if you prefer a milder dish. Here's the ingredients. You'll need 16 ounces of whole wheat fusilli pasta or fusilli, one 24 ounce jar of lower sodium marinara sauce divided, one pound of 90% lean ground beef, one half cup of panko breadcrumbs, one quarter cup of grated sweet onion, one quarter cup of chopped fresh basil plus more for garnish, one large egg, two teaspoons of Italian seasoning, one half teaspoon salt, one half teaspoon of crushed red pepper, two cups of shredded low moisture part skim mozzarella cheese. For the directions, first you're going to preheat your oven to 350 degrees Fahrenheit Bring a large pot of water to boil and add pasta. Cook until the center of the pasta is still somewhat firm, about four minutes less than the package directions. Drain the pasta and transfer to a nine by 13 inch baking dish 
Add half of the marinara sauce to the pasta and stir to coat. Next up, you're going to combine ground beef, panko, onion, basil, egg, Italian seasoning, salt, and crushed red pepper in a large bowl. Gently mix with your hands, do not overmix, and then form the mixture into 16 about one and a half inch size meatballs, nestling the meatballs into the pasta mixture as you work. Pour the remaining marinara sauce over the casserole and top with cheese. Step three, you're going to bake until the thermometer inserted into the meatballs registers at least 160 degrees Fahrenheit and the cheese is lightly browned. That'll be 35 to 40 minutes and you can garnish with basil if desired. I'm always up for garnishing with basil. I love basil. <laughs> Next, spinach and mushroom quiche, also from eatingwell.com. This healthy vegetarian quiche recipe is as simple as it gets. It's a quiche without the fussy crust. It's filled with sweet wild mushrooms and savory Gruyere cheese. Enjoy it for breakfast or brunch or serve it with a light salad for lunch. How we made spinach and mushroom quiche healthy. We loaded our quiche with eight cups of spinach and eight ounces of fresh mixed mushrooms. More veggies mean more fiber and nutrients with less room for fat and calories coming from cream and eggs. Second, we used a combination of whole milk and half and half instead of heavy cream in the custard. You get the same creamy results with less saturated fat. And third, we went crustless. A crustless quiche is not only more streamlined, but healthier too. Leaving the crust behind cuts down on calories, fat and carbohydrates, leaving more room for the nutritious and delicious filling. So someone asked, can I use frozen spinach instead of fresh? And the answer is yes, you can. Frozen spinach is a good alternative to fresh as long as it is thawed and squeezed dry. Wet and watery ingredients will leave you with a wet and watery quiche, which is why we pre-cook the veggies before baking them in the custard. Be sure to squeeze dry or pre-cook any frozen or fresh veggies before adding them to the custard. So how to store spinach and mushroom quiche? Quiche can be easily made ahead a time or enjoyed as leftovers. To make spinach and mushroom quiche ahead, cover and refrigerate for up to five days. Cover and reheat the whole quiche at 350 degrees for Fahrenheit for 30 to 45 minutes, or you can microwave by the slice. Here's the recipe. You're going to need two tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil, eight ounces of sliced fresh mixed wild mushrooms such as cremini, shiitake, button, and or oyster mushrooms, one and a half cups of thinly sliced sweet onion, one tablespoon of thinly sliced garlic, five ounces of fresh baby spinach, that's about eight cups, coarsely chopped, six large eggs, one quarter cup of whole milk, one quarter cup of half and half, one tablespoon of Dijon mustard, one tablespoon of fresh thyme leaves plus more for garnish, one quarter teaspoon salt, one quarter teaspoon of ground pepper, one and a half cups of shredded Gruyere cheese. First, you're going to preheat your oven to 375 degrees Fahrenheit and coat a nine inch pie pan with cooking spray and then set aside. Next, you're going to heat the oil in a large nonstick skillet over medium-high heat. Swirl to coat the pan, add mushrooms, 
Cook, stirring occasionally until browned and tender, about eight minutes. Add onion and garlic. Cook, stirring often until softened and tender, about five minutes. Add spinach. Cook, tossing constantly until wilted, one to two minutes, and then remove from the heat. Next up, you're going to whisk the eggs, the milk, the half and half, the mustard, thyme, salt, and pepper in a medium bowl and fold in the mushroom mixture and cheese. Spoon it into the prepared pie pan and bake until set and golden brown about 30 minutes. Let stand for 10 minutes and then slice and garnish with thyme and serve. Our next recipe is from smittenkitchen.com. My old school baked ziti. The night before I went to the hospital to have this little nugget, in one last burst of frenetic nesting, a tornado of focused, effective energy I sorely miss in these early months, I decided to do something so practical I'm still patting myself on the back for it. I made a big volume of lazy baked ziti and divided into three dishes, two that went into the freezer. I have not been this productive or effective since. I've said this before, but there's honestly very little reason you need to cook in New York City. You can get everything and anything you want, even healthier fare delivered hot, often at a reasonable price with no advanced planning. So if you're going to be crazy like me and cook, you've got to have another reason to do it. Previously, I'd made the argument that a really great reason to do so is out of inherent persnickityness to pick the dish that nobody else makes the way you like it and set out to master it at home so you can eat what you want most of all. But upon coming home from the hospital with this easily reheated, unequivocally comforting and loved by the whole family dish in the freezer, I found a new reason, normalcy. Sure, we've upended my son's life with an invader. Sure, nothing would ever be exactly the same again. But there we were sitting at the same table with the same people at 6 p.m. a few days after she was born eating the same food we had a few days before she was born, and it kind of felt like we might just pull this whole thing off. And we did again, like two months later. Oof. For someone with a lot of opinions about baked ziti, down with baked ricotta, down with jarred sauce, it's rather rude that I've never shared the version that I make when I actually make it. It's spectacularly simple and lazy, just like me most nights, and it makes what always feels like a truckload, if a truckload equals definitely three dinners for three nights for three people and then some. It's not hideously rich, nor is it abstemious. It's quite flexible, should you choose to opt out of meat and add more vegetables. And while I still have not come around to the idea of baking ricotta into a pasta dish, the texture, it gets weird, I just can't but I absolutely adore having a great big dollop on the side, cold, fresh, and slightly rich the way it was always meant to be. But enough about the practicality, the texture, the greens, and all the feels. Let's talk about what really matters. How are the corners? Tell me about the edges. And the answer is, I will not. I do not share them, so don't even ask. Here's the recipe for my old school baked ziti. A few notes. Uh, to make this without meat, as I'm not personally into meat substitutes, I would use a pound or so of sliced mushrooms instead to make this vegetarian. To freeze, you can freeze this unbaked and once defrosted 
bake it in the warm or in the oven as directed. You could also freeze it after baking and just defrost it and rewarm it, but that leads to softer noodles because they get warmed, cooked an extra time. Finally, if you really, really like those crisp edges like I do, I find if you use a round or an oval dish and ziti noodles with straight ends versus penne noodles, which usually have angled ends, it especially leaves jagged edges more prone to crisping. It also helps to just pour the pasta mix into the dish and not press it into the corners. So you're going to need for this a glug of olive oil, one medium onion, chopped small, two garlic cloves, minced, one pound of ground beef or Italian sausage, casings removed, 28 ounce can of whole tomatoes with juices, chopped by you or crushed tomatoes, one teaspoon of dried oregano, red pepper flakes to taste, one pound of pasta, cooked al dente and drained, three quarters pound of mozzarella, coarsely grated, two thirds cup of finely grated pecorino or parmesan cheese, one quarter pound, four ounces of baby spinach, or a few handfuls of another green cut into thin ribbons. And to serve, dollops of your favorite ricotta and slivers of basil leaves if desired. You're going to heat the oven to 400 degrees Fahrenheit. Cook the pasta until quite al dente, or two minutes less than the suggested cooking time. Please, it will keep cooking in the sauce and then in the oven, and mushy pasta makes me sad. You want to reserve one half cup of the cooking water and then drain the pasta. Heat a large saute pan. If yours is oven proof, you can even use it as your final baking vessel over medium heat. Coat with a glug of olive oil and heat the oil. Add meat and cook with onion, garlic, oregano, pepper flakes, and salt over medium high heat for six to eight minutes or until the meat is brown, stirring frequently. If you're using plain ground beef versus sausage meat, you're going to really want to season this well. And don't be shy with that salt and pepper. Add crushed tomatoes and stir to combine. Reduce the heat to medium-low and simmer for five minutes. Adjust the seasonings to taste. And if it's become quite thick, stir in reserve pasta water. Add spinach and cook until wilted, just another minute. Stir in drained pasta and heat together for one minute. Then pour half of the pasta mixture into a 9 by 13 inch baking dish, lasagna pan, or other 3 quart baking vessel, or divide among smaller ones if you'd like to freeze some off, and then sprinkle with half of each cheese. Pour the remaining pasta and sauce over and finish with the remaining cheese, and bake in the heated oven for 30 minutes. If you wish, you can run the dish under your broiler for a minute or two for an extra bronzed lid right before serving. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.